because my technical knowledge of what we're talking about is like amateur at best, but I think it's a really cool topic and I think the applications are neat. So we've talked a lot about machine learning and artificial intelligence as a solution to things in the past on the podcast. Um, especially like machine interfaces, human machine interfaces and that sort of thing. And so one of the big, um, big tools that gets used for that kind of interface and for machine learning in general is something called a Markov process. And so we're going to take a few steps back and talk about some math first so you understand what we're doing. So a Markov process is a specific application of what's called a Bayesian network. And Bayesian probability is something you use in order to guess how likely something is given something else. So okay. that's the, that's the yeah. most basic way I can put it. Uh, like if you the one of the the traditional uh, examples is like you look outside and you guess how probable it is it's going to rain based on what you can observe. So if you observe gray clouds, you're like, okay, it is a higher probability it's going to rain than if you look outside and it's blue skies. Mm -hmm. So the probability of it raining changes depending on the observed state of the sky. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like the... Start again. I don't remember what I was saying even a moment ago, From let alone... The top. I didn't realize we started recording this podcast, by the way. <laughs> Neither. You just started talking, and Pete's like, shit, and presses record. <laughs> I thought when you pressed when you thumbs up, I thought you said you were recording. I was just giving you thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> Usually when you give me silent hand gestures, it means it's recording and you want to do something. <laughs> I was like, oh, good thing I started recording to get some levels because I didn't know you started. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, he's not explaining it to me. He's actually started. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought you were just explaining it to us. Then you just started going more and more podcasty voice. <laughs> wow. This is more train wrecky than usual. And I'm not editing any of this out. <laughs> Gold. Okay. All right. So where was I? Okay. Yes. <laughs> Bayesian network. So we have, let's expand our Bayesian network in our mind. So you have the observation of the state of the sky, which will inform your, uh, the likelihood that it's going to rain. And then what, how likely it is it's going to rain as well as the state of the sky. So whether it's sunny or not, will both inform the chances that Abby will wear a big floppy hat to work. Or something like that. It's true. Yeah. So these are all the things that you can... So this whole network allows you to, based on things you can observe, to adjust your probability, your guesses for probability for various different things. Yeah. So it's it's like a little sequence of, of states, each one being a probability based on what came into it that has an output, and which is the probability that feeds into the next one, that feeds into the next one, that feeds into the next one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the states of various different things affect the likelihood of things that you don't know for sure. Does things each things one, you haven't measured. Does each one observe a single phenomenon or is it just responsible for determining a single probability? Um, well, you can you, you're you have a whole bunch of things that you can measure and then you well, a whole bunch of things that can be in different states. So you could observe the sky and there could be a bunch of different measurements you can take. You can be like how cloudy is it? How like hot like how uh, bright is the sun? Um, mm. And so different things like how bright the sun is probably doesn't affect the likelihood that it's going to rain, mm. but the temperature highly affects the chance that it's going to snow. But to, for it to be a Bayesian network, it has to have at some point an input that's coming from a previous probability. 
like a previous state. Yeah, you, you, but you're you're constantly observing the the states that you that you know in order to change to constantly update the probabilities of the states that you don't know. Yes. Um, mm. So yeah, the whole point of this whole network is to guess something, and then you're but you may have a whole a whole series of of states that you don't know for sure, but you can guess the probability of each of those intermediate states. Uh, in order, based on things that you have observed okay, and so, the information you do have. So because this is a pretty complex idea, can you walk through maybe like a, a human process, like thinking process that could analogize this particular system? So if you think of like the way that you look out the window in the morning and de- decide if you should wear a shirt, because, mm. um, you know, when it's cold out, you may or may not wear a shirt. You should probably always wear a shirt. <laughs> Okay. Okay. No, in, that, in that case, in that case, pants. Well, no, Let's say you look outside, <laughs> decide if you're going to wear pants. Um, Always. Can you walk through like the process you would go through in your head that you could create a system as an analogy for that process? Yeah. Well, so there's a good a good example because if you, when you get up in the morning, you can you can glance out your window and you can see how sunny it is, and you know with basically 100 percent probability that what you're seeing out the window is what the current state of the weather is. Um, but you, what you don't know is how well you can use that to predict the weather where you're going, depending on how far away you are. So based on your observations before, I might get up in the morning and because I drive an hour to work, I'm going to look outside and say it's sunny, but that's not enough information for me to know if it's going to be sunny at work. So then I will look on my phone and I will look at the Markham weather and I will take that and I will say I trust that to a certain degree. If it says it's going to be sunny, then I'm going to be 80% certain that it's going to be sunny when I get to work. And also that in conjunction with the fact that I observe that it's sunny outside improves that guess by a little bit. If it says it's going to be sunny in Markham, if my phone says it's going to be sunny in Markham, but I look outside and it's dark gray in the sky outside, I'm going to, that's going to reduce my belief that it's going to be sunny in Markham. Yeah, or if you look at like your handy-dandy um, barometric pressure um, indication that you have, you know, hung on your, your wall. barometer, your barometer, like, yep. you know, can your old timey ship mm-hmm. kind of deal. Yep. Um, that could give you an indication of like temporal probability of the weather changing because the inertia of that's much slower than the sun, for instance, like, mm-hmm. like a cloud could go and come in front of the sun. You could look at the way to be like, Ooh, it's dark. Mm-hmm. I better wear a hat. Yeah. Um, so but, like, so, but some of those are things that you can observe with great with great certainty. Yeah. And some of those mm-hmm. are things you can only partially infer. Right. And so you can, you can gather information from a bunch of different places and they all have different differing effects on how much you believe it's going to be sunny where you're going to get to. Yeah. And also okay. the, the complexity increases and your insight increases depending on how many things you look at. So for instance, if Tuesday is coming, then you might want to wear <laughs> a coat, coat. <laughs> but that's a that's a, in addition to all the other measurements that you've taken. Yes, and there there will also be things that you won't like. You'll have to look at that are completely unrelated. You might look at at your uh, look at your calendar and say, okay, I have a meeting that I have to go to, so I need something with a collar, and so that will increase. Or pants. Yes, I do have to wear pants because I'm going to a meeting. Normally at my desk, I don't bother, but yeah, yeah. so that, then that, that will, or and that you could look at it and say, okay, what are the chances that they're, that my boss is coming to the meeting and therefore I'm worried about formal wear? <laughs> Zero. Yeah. Well, <laughs> okay. In our case, not so much, but what are the chances that a customer is coming and we need to yeah. look like yeah, yeah. professional? And so you may, <laughs> <you're>, <laughs> well, we're really painting ourselves in a good light yeah. here. <laughs> 
Um, anyway, so these are things that are completely unrelated, and you can then use those to inform your decision as well. And right. some of them may, again, one may lead into another, may lead into another. Mm-hmm. So that's where you get a network where they're all interconnected, and they're constantly shifting, and your probabilities are all shifting. Mm-hmm. So that's a very general application. Mm-hmm. So more specific is what's called a Markov process, which is where you observe the current state of the system uh, and it's you can observe it with great accuracy and then based entirely on the current state of the system, you guess what the next state of the system is going to be. Um, and so you're assuming mathematically that the future state of the system is entirely dependent on the current state of the system. Mm-hmm. Um, and so an application of that in terms of weather would be you, you look outside, assuming that you could measure everything about the weather outside to a perfect degree, then theoretically the way the weather is going to be an hour from now is only a, like a function of how the weather is at this exact moment. Right. Um, and then you can basically do that step forward through time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then w- if you model a system that way, then you can predict what, um, how things are going to progress based on a series of logical steps. You say, okay, if, th- if everything, these are the measurements right now, then like the likelihood of it being the measurements being thus in the next time step or this. And then based on that, the next time step is going to be this and your accuracy goes down over time, but it's, it's one, each one step at a time. You can always predict the next step. Yeah. Okay. Um, what's that used for? So yes, now we're finally getting to why it is important to the stuff that we've talked about because it's used a lot in natural language processing. Um, so your phone, it's the most common thing that people will know is their phone. Cause mm-hmm. you, you type in, as you're typing words, your phone is doing a bunch of different Markov processes. Um, for one thing, if you've got like, um, a, if you're typing on your phone, either swipe keyboard or regular keyboard and you start making errors, autocorrect is using a Markov process to say, okay, here is what I know, the actual thing that was typed in. And then I've got a bunch of possible things that that person might've meant. And so it uses the the Bayesian probability for that if you type in like Tapco that you want you meant a taco or you meant Tapcon yeah. or something like that. And so it looks at the how many things it has to change in order to get meaningful dictionary words. Mm-hmm. And based on how many like changes it has to make to the word, it reduces the probability that that's what you meant. Um, and it does a similar thing with like swipe keyboards where your phone will actually learn when you make a certain shape and then you select the word, like if it didn't get the right word and you select the right word, Mm -hmm. it learns that this shape is more closely related to that word. And it's constantly improving the relationship between certain curves that it's measuring with the swipe keyboard and certain words in the library. So eventually you can get to the point where you could, you could swipe a completely wild series of gestures. But if you do that exact series of gestures and keep telling that that's the word you're looking for, it'll learn. Yeah. Uh, Cause it's constantly, every time you, um, this is something called reinforcement learning where every time you make a certain gesture and then you tell it that is the gesture for, because then it reinforces the connection between that particular shape and the word because. Mm -hmm. And so your phone's constantly learning that and then it can better interpret in the future what that shape meant. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one of the Markov ways that Markov chains are, or Markov processes are applied. Another thing it does is where in a lot of, I think almost all keyboards now, above the keyboard as you're typing, before you start the next word, it'll give you like three words that probably come next. Mm -hmm. Um, And that 
is an application application of a Markov chain. Um, a Markov network is a whole bunch of things interconnected. A Markov chain is just like series of states that are all linear. Um, and so all it's doing is saying, last time you typed the, the next word was taco. So like, like and this, so it's every time you, those, those two words follow, that word follows the first one, it builds up a relationship between those words. So the next time you type the, your phone's going to say, are you going to type taco next? And it'll pop it up as the next option. Mm-hmm. Um, and but that's going to be reinforced or unreinforced super regularly because it's the. Yeah, the, whereas, the is a bad example. Yeah, but. whereas if like if you type in like, I don't know, dolphin, mm-hmm. their dolphin meat is probably not something you're, you'd say maybe once. Yeah. And so the next time you say dolphin, it's going to be like, I have one data point for yeah. dolphin. Last time I said dolphin, he said meat. Yeah. Whereas if he wants to say hugs, that's, maybe also possible but they're going to have equal weighting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so it's it, it, the and also like the original like the initial setup of the system is really important because it's uh you it, the closer you are with your original guesses to the way the person's going to talk the faster your system will learn um so that's there's a lot of research that goes into the initial setup of uh building an intuitive natural language understanding for these keyboards so that when you start typing it's already giving you kind of like meaningful uh, mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. suggestions mm-hmm. so um uh, the example i really like i can't remember which keyboard it is it might be swift key um i think it's swift key that if you if you've never typed anything to the keyboard before and you select the like the number one suggestion for a word every time the first sentence it always types is you are a beautiful person Oh, iPads might do that as well. Maybe iPad. It's yeah. it's 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 an interesting uh, thing. I mean, that that immediately gets changed as soon as you start typing things. But it's yeah. an, it's an interesting little tidbit. And one of the fun things to do with this is um, just to, pick the first like yeah, thing and pick see the what. first suggestion for like open up a text message or a note and pick the first suggestion. And just push in the middle just, every time. But also, it's it's contextual, especially with SwiftKey. So like, if I open a text to my wife it's going to automatically suggest different things than if I open a note or something like that. Yeah. And and what you've hit on there with like the touching, picking the first suggestion every time is also if you've ever gotten a spam email that seems like it yeah. should be text, but you're reading it and it's like, this doesn't actually make any sense when you mm-hmm. read the words. That's all, it's all Markov chain generation. They've basically just taken, what they've done is taken huge amounts of text data and stuck it into a into an analysis to say okay how often does this word follow this word and then they just basically pick a random word to start the sentence and generate a series of probabilistically likely series of words Hmm. which means you end up with sentences that almost make sense but never quite do yeah um and so there's some really like really interesting stuff out there like if you go to there's a subreddit uh called subreddit simulator and it's it's so good. It's so good. And well, that's all Mar- it's, it's all Markov. It's all Bayesian probabilities. Yeah. And they basically just create a whole bunch of bots that go out and they read messages on specific subreddits and learn what the, the prototypical message on that subreddit is or the prototypical post on that subreddit is. Mm-hmm. And then they create new posts that are that are eerily similar to all the posts on that subreddit. Yeah. And uh, so that's, yeah, it's all an application of Bayesian probability. And it's just going through and saying, what are the chances that somebody is going to post a picture of a cat and the comment is going to be, look at this cute cat. And usually you'll get something a little bit wonky, be like, look at this cute boot cat or look at this cute like <laughs> left cat. And it's something like wonk, uh, just a little bit not quite right. Yeah. So the extension of that, and we kind of touched on it with the Swift key and the and reinforcement learning is... Um, e- a really specific application of it that's used a lot is in um, voice recognition. 
because they use what's referred to as a hidden Markov model, which is where you have you assume that the that what you're looking at is a is a Markov model. It's something where each state is directly a function of the previous state, but you don't know what state you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, you're just guessing. And so what you can observe in this case, like with, with voice uh, processing, is you observe the sounds, the waveforms uh, that somebody's speaking, and you are trying to guess what the current state is, which is what word are they saying. Um, and then you can use the information based on what you think they just said to guess better at what the next thing they're going to say is. Um, mm. That's really because, cool. Because you, because you, your input is like not only how much does this waveform look like the waveform for a particular word, but also how likely is that word to follow the word you think came before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why you'll get it's it's really improving the uh, auto generation of things like subtitles or uh, like text to speech. Uh, mm-hmm. Sorry, um, mm-hmm. speech to text. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's why you'll sometimes, if you watch, if you watch like YouTube that's been auto subtitled, it's again kind of similar to that uh, yeah. to those emails where it's like those are all words, but they're not quite the right words. Yeah. Um, and it's because it hasn't quite learned what should follow logically, especially if you have a sentence that's using words that it doesn't know um, or that it has never encountered in a sentence, so it can't guess what the probability of that word being in the sentence is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the last time I looked at a subtitled YouTube video, it was for like a first robotics video. And a lot of the terms that it was using that it was interpreting properly were common terms like child or robot or enclosure. But some of the weird ones like sensor or like actuator, it would totally just misunderstand because they're not commonly used words, mm-hmm. especially in that context. Yeah. So there's a, the, you can do some really neat stuff from it's a you start for some very simple principles, which are just I know a what are the chances based on A that I know B? Yeah. Um, and then from that, you can get to some really amazing, uh, really amazing stuff, especially as you say, when you get, uh, when you start learning, when your system starts learning by adjusting the probability based on observations. Mm-hmm. And you do that all the time. I mean, like we'd go back to our weather uh, analogy. When you get up in the morning, you look at your phone, your phone says it's going to be sunny. You get there and it's raining. That, that reduces the chance that you're going to believe your phone next time. And you keep doing that over and over and over again. And so the over time, you're constantly adjusting how much you trust that particular source of information. Hmm. And the similar thing will happen when you look out the window. You say, okay, it's sunny. You look at your back window, it's sunny. You walk out the front door and it rains on you because you could only see in one direction. That'll, that'll increase the chances that you're going to seek additional information before you make an assumption like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, Reinforcement so you, learning is, is very humanistic. It's, mm-hmm. it's an exactly to a certain extent, the way that humans, init- especially lish- initially, learn things. Yeah. So, like, childs use a lot of reinforcement learning. Yeah. Childs. Childs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not children. <laughs> childs. Sorry, mine, mine is not working properly at the moment. But the other interesting thing about that, about that kind of uh, reinforcement learning is that you can hijack it. Uh, yeah. Hu- humans are really bad at it at times. Um, like, gambler's fallacies. I mean, gambling mm-hmm. in general, it, it flies in the face of, ba- of, yeah. of probability in general. Mm-hmm. Mainly because we are really bad at making Bayesian, like making Bayesian probability guesses uh, about things that have very simple probabilities, and it's yeah. really amazing. Yeah. Um, I mean, the whole thing where it's like you flip a coin nine times and they all come up heads. What's it going to do next? 
you know intuitively that it's 50 50 but you keep wanting to like feed information from the mm -hmm. previous states mm -hmm. into this into that decision mm -hmm. even though it has no place there yeah and same thing with like people who play slot machines for days and days and days they're constantly they're trying to observe the system and infer the probability that they're going to win even though there is no inference to be made there i thought you were talking about in terms of fooling them the the situation with like the, the Microsoft bot that they put on Twitter where it became extremely racist because its impression of the world was that everyone is racist because yeah. it was bombarded by racism. Well, and I mean, that's, that, that is any kind of uh, artificial learning system yeah. like that because it's intended to learn at such a high rate, it's very susceptible to bad information because mm -hmm. that information... It has a little experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's going through the, the level of learning that a human goes through in over a decade in a matter of days. Which is yeah. why you get into um, f other fields and other related topics like deep learning, where you're basically forcing a system like that to iterate um, using reams of information, either that it generates itself or that it uses from databases mm -hmm. millions of times in order to gain experience as quickly as computer systems can now gain experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there, there, there will be... Uh, things like reinforcement learning for uh, the, the issues they ran into with a lot of these bots is that they don't have it goes back to that initial setup like you're, you're learning a particular keyboard if your if your keyboard doesn't have a doesn't have a well entrenched concept of like this is normal English syntax um, then it's if you don't write if you write with a very bad with very bad grammar then your keyboard's going to have very bad grammar yep mm -hmm. um and so you can counteract that by initially building in a lot of uh pre-existing knowledge by parsing large amounts of text yeah. uh, mm -hmm. written yeah. by other people but a variety of people, uh, which makes the system more resistant to being uh, being led astray or by bad by you. data. You can give your keyboard presumably like access to your text messages and your emails and stuff like that. Well, I, assuming your text messages and emails are written with better grammar than you mm -hmm. are currently. Like, but, if, but, if you, but in terms of your, your nuance and getting experience with how you write, like yeah. Google, for instance, in Inbox, um, will auto-suggest replies to people's emails based mm -hmm. on previous emails. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But again, that's again that's another one of these these applications where they look at an email that somebody sent and they pick out a bunch of keywords that are like uh, meeting and invitation and a date and time. And it looks at that and says, what's the probability that this person is calling a meeting at this location at this time and that your response is probably going to be, I'll be there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's using looking at all of these, trying to find cues that it knows are related to a specific kind of conversation and then facilitate that kind of conversation. Yeah. It's also interesting to me that beyond just what we've talked about so far, or at least today, um, the majority of artificial intelligence that you see everywhere in, in robots, on the internet, in your phone hmm. is, uh, is really um, driven by probability, period. Like almost mm -hmm. everything is driven by probability, no matter what algorithms you're using. Mm -hmm. If you get into some of my favorites, like um, particle filtering and slam and stuff like that for robotics, they're all probability still. Yep. You're taking measurements based on measurements. You're trying to determine what's going on in the world and yeah. then and the probability of whether or not you're correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean your 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 vision systems where you're doing say, particle filtering that you can use all these exact same mm -hmm. um, all these exact same theories. You look at you look at something and you say okay, this shape it, it's approximately this shape. What what do I know that's about that shape? Yeah. Like that could be Pete's head or it could be somebody else's head or it could be a picture of Pete on the wall, things like that. Yeah. 
and they're all things that I know are approximately that shape when I look at them. That's why when you are on the internet and you have a like a typical gotcha um, check, captcha, and it, and it, captcha, yeah, that's it, <laughs> uh, and it's a photograph of an address that's generally used for image processing on Google Maps to figure out addressing for their streets. Yeah, I've noticed that it's always numbers. Because they're trying to teach their processing systems for Google Maps and Street View how to pull street numbers from the images they gain from that's street brilliant. View. That's brilliant. I don't know if it's still around, but there was a there was a website for a while called GWAP. It was Games with a Purpose. And it was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. and you could yeah. go on and you could do things like you could uh, you and a random person would look at an image and you would both write words that you thought described that image, and then you got points based on how many times your words overlapped with the other person's words. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you were trying to pick up, like, imagine what a prototypical person looking at that image would do. Yeah. And you were teaching a an automated photo tagging program yep. to look at an image and say, this image looks like images that are normally tagged birds. And uh, Or similarly, you could you're, they were trying to teach a computer um, aesthetic uh, appreciation of images. So they would, they just showed you a bunch of random images and said, how much do you like this image? And they just did that for huge numbers of, uh, uh, or I guess it would like, do you like this image more than this image kind of thing? Mm-hmm. And, and it basically gave it a ranking of these are the most aesthetically pleasing images versus the least aesthetically yeah. pleasing. Yeah. It's interesting. I once, um, put together a research proposal, um, based similarly on this, which is why I know about that. Mm-hmm. Um, that I coined it something along the lines of, um, machine pedagogy, mm-hmm. which was looking at not just how you can develop systems like these in order to give e- AI experience and learning to reflect humanistic reactions to things, but like what the best ways are. So like actually looking at like how do you best teach artificial intelligence certain concepts? Mm-hmm. What is the best approach? What approach work better or worse? And how can you more effectively demonstrate quickly as a person teaching that system how to do a certain thing? Yeah. That's cool. One last thing that I found really interesting with systems like these are how they're evaluated in terms of their performance. Mm. Um, it's an interesting point that a lot of these systems, they'll give you results, and these the results of these systems are then evaluated to determine how well it's um, be interpreting whatever the scenario is that it's supposed to be figuring out, whether it's finding uh, part of an image or recognizing text or things like that. And a lot of times, false negatives are far less important than false positives. So basically the result is of a system like this, if it's given a particular piece of information and asked to analyze it would be either it finds the right value, which is positive, or it finds, it does not find the right value, but it isn't actually there, which is negative. Right. A false positive is when it thinks it's supposed to find something and it isn't. Mm -hmm. And a false negative is when it doesn't find something it's supposed to. Right. Um, a false negative is normally generally fine because that just means it didn't find it. So what? Yeah. It, like that, it, it missed it. Oh well. Mm-hmm. A false positive is really bad because a false positive means it shouldn't have found anything and it did find something, which means it totally misinterpreted what it was looking at. Yeah. yeah. And if you look at some systems like now they're using, for instance, the IBM Deep Blue for doing um, diagnostic medicine, mm. you don't want false positives right. in medicine. No. And that's um, the example that they use in the AI course that I took. Um, was talking about how false positive, for instance, in cancer diagnosis, not a good thing. Because mm-hmm. um, nobody wants to know, find out that they have cancer and then find out they don't. If mm-hmm. you find out you don't have cancer, but you do, it's bad. 
but it's not as bad as thinking you had cancer when you didn't. I don't know. Well, I, 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 yeah. like, I can see why in why that, that scenario would be it's a little bit skewed, but and it depends again on the the, the particular situation. But there, in most situations, a false positive is far worse than a false negative. Yeah, hmm. and it's it's interesting because you can go back to the uh, to like your your phone and when you type things in, your phone will shy away from at least initially shy away from words that it will find you think it thinks you will find offensive. Uh, which is why, like, if you most of the time when you start with a new phone, you try to swear, it'll change it into other dictionary words mm-hmm. because it wants to assume that you didn't mean to swear. <laughs> because if you type something else in and it turns it into into yeah. profanity, yeah. that's going to be much worse than the other way around. Yeah. But then look at this scenario: recently, um, Tesla's automated driving system killed someone. Yeah, and that system was designed so that it would purposefully ignore overhead signs over top of the highway um, and interpret them as being signs. Um, and give basically the benefit of the doubt that it is a sign, not something that you're going to hit. Because the scenario that happened was a guy was driving down the street, a transport truck pulled into the road, he didn't see the trailer, the car thought that it was an overhead sign and drove into the trailer. Hmm. If you're driving down the highway and you drive under an overhead sign and the car slams on the brakes, that's very bad. Right. Yeah. And so you're going to give a priority to a false um, negative rather than a false positive. Right. And in this case, the false negative meant he signed into a truck. Right. But it's probably on in the long run better than all Teslas every now and then just stopping dead in the middle of the highway. Right. Yeah. No, I, th- th- that sort of thing you can't – a lot of those things you just – you can only come up with so good of a model for it. Like as so good a guess of what you're looking at. Mm-hmm. And eventually you're going to run into a situation where it's not going to work and – Unless the system has a chance to learn from it to say, okay, that wasn't an overhead sign and and learn the difference, then the system is going to have yeah. a lot of problems. There's always going to be a question of like, if you're not sure. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're not sure, it's normally going to err on the side of just pretend it's not right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Assume you're wrong, basically. Yeah. But I mean, that's, I mean, that's, this is the kind of question that people do their PhDs on. So, and yeah. also I always assume that if I'm not sure, I'm probably wrong. Yeah, I think there's there's something there in terms of trying to make computers think in a same similar way to humans so that humans can predict the way that they're going to like decide to do things. Yeah. Um like it's it, it that was one, one again talking about like the this was I think it was the Google car we were saying like they'll get into situations as they're driving along where there's a pedestrian standing on the side of the road and the Google car stops. And then the pedestrian is standing there and they just stare at each other because the Google car will not move because <laughs> it just it won't it, it is just it yeah. has to stop until the pedestrian either turns around or steps into the road. Yeah. Um, and it is a safe solution, but it's not one that the pedestrians generally assume. Yeah. It, they sit there and stare yeah. at it waiting for it to drive by and they end up at an impasse. Unless mm-hmm. you live in like a small town, in which case most people stop. Yeah. But I mean, like it's whether people assume that the intelligence in the car thinks like a person. Yeah. And if so, they're going to, they're going to do how nice a person. Of, yeah. And they're <laughs> going to assume that the car is going to drive like a, like a car that's being driven by a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's going to make them going to make the pedestrians wary. So mm-hmm. and it'd be interesting to see if that changes as, uh, as self-driving cars become more predominant. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. They become bigger and bigger jerks. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you just get to the point where it's just easier. You just assume that the pedestrians are going to just never go on the road because yeah. it's it's an easier assumption than trying to assume that they're going to step out all the time. And they get really racist. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Everyone should look up Better Off Ted and watch some episodes and enjoy. Okay. Racist learning machines. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah, so I think that's I, I I don't know how well we covered the original topic, but it's I there, think you the, did. there's some very if you start reading up on it, the math that's involved in analyzing the systems gets very, very complicated very, very fast, and I don't understand it enough to try to explain it. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was purely just like the concept behind it. But that being said, the probability equations they use for the very simplistic Markov chains and stuff like that are really straightforward. Yeah, no, it's it's once you get into like the acyclic, like uh, AD, yeah. ADG, acyclic directed graphs. Wow. Yeah, it's it's like graph analysis and and looking at like, how you get from from node to node, and that math yeah. gets really complicated yeah. very fast. Mm. That doesn't sound like. Fun. And there's no. and there's also some really crazy matrix math that goes into if you've got like lots of interconnected states because your chance oh. of when you're moving away from one state, you have a big probability matrix of where you're going to go next. Yeah, and of course. So there's some crazy matrix math that goes on there too, um, which I'm sure makes a lot of sense to a lot of people, but not to me. I was never all that good with matrices. <laughs> um, yeah, so if you're interested in the topic, there's lots of uh, resources online, but uh, yeah. that hopefully will give you an idea of a really cool application of some probability math That's for nice. all you people in university going, ugh, yep. what am I going to do with all this probability? There's all kinds of cool stuff being done with probability. Make keyboards. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. And other things. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. It's going to be everywhere. I mean, it's already almost everywhere, mm-hmm. and it's only going to end up in more places as more things get more smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's every, every piece of technology we have is starting to learn faster, and the way it usually starts to learn is this kind of probabilistic analysis. Better brains. Cool. So. So. Kwanzer. You're looking at me like I know things. Well, so you're, you're, the, you're the guy with the Kwanzer shirt on. Yeah. So this week, I, <laughs> I learned Kwanzer makes comfy t-shirts. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks to Kwanzer this week, um, I learned that um, if you're looking at... Uh, that one of the classic um, examples of a robotic challenge, which is line following. Mm-hmm. Line following has been around for a very long time. If you're using an image um, and a camera system, you can use a number of different processing techniques to try to pull out the line and mm-hmm. what the decisions are you want to make. Um, they can be something called edge detection that tries to find differences in dark things and light things that are close to each other to try to figure out where the edges of different uh, parts of your image are. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do pattern recognition or blob detection or stuff like that where you're trying to find areas that are different colors mm-hmm. some of the approaches that seem to make the most sense are that you use um different shaped and different scrolling regions of interest in your image if you want to find a line you basically take a little square or a circle and you move it around the image and mm-hmm. see where you find lines and where you don't find lines mm. and based on where the lines are and how big they are and how wide they are you can basically decide if you're coming up to um, if you're following a straight line or you're following a curved line or you're coming up to an intersection or a dead end or a right turn or a left turn, by moving that sort of specific fra- sliver of the image around, you can figure out where the parts of the lines are and how you need to follow them. Hmm. Oh, cool. Neat. All right. Shall we talk socials before we go? Yeah. So how do you dot engineer mm-hmm. is our website. Mm-hmm. And recently, uh, news from the website, this just in. Um, two people liked an episode of our podcast on the website, and that was exciting. <laughs> I don't think that ever happened before. I didn't even really remember that was possible. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. <laughs> didn't know they could do that. By Good the way, job. side note, if you comment on an episode on our podcast, we'll probably never see it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh, we're so the worst. So that's how do you dot engineer. Um, and also you can email us feedback at how do you dot engineer. You are much more likely to see that than yeah, a comment. That mm-hmm. makes my phone go bazinga zing, which uh, is far more effective way to talk to me. Nice. Yep. Or these guys too, because I can yell at them. <laughs> yep. Uh, and you can talk to us on Facebook and Twitter at how do you eng and Reddit at slash r slash how do you eng. And you can listen to us on Geek Life Radio on Mondays at 6 p.m. And iTunes and Google Play. Yeah. Right. stuff too. Um, side note too, for everyone out there, we are considering, I'm considering, you guys, surprise, I'm considering, um, <laughs> starting to do video every now and then through something like, I don't know, Facebook live video or Periscope or some sort of other fun newfangled thing. Um, I don't know the first thing about like live streaming videos. Neither so. do I. But if anyone out there thinks that sounds cool, let us know and we'll actually try to do it. Otherwise, we'll probably just keep talking about it and never actually do it. All right. <laughs> Thanks.